0: I want to invite Reverend Sam Ketchum to come deliver us our word of um, the sermon. I I just wanted to point out as well, um, I appreciate this brother, appreciate his passion and his desire for unity among our churches and um, his desire to see this community uh, um, evangelized and uh, I would encourage you join us in this next. Uh, the next opportunity you'll have as a congregation to hear and preach is June 6th. I would imagine at the uh, Fresno courthouse in this street pre- preaching event. Um, I I can honestly say I have uh, never been called or felt called to do such a thing, and it's a challenge that uh, scares me to death. And and so I will be there, um, Lord willing. And and witnessing this and, and hopefully encouraged by what the Lord does through that. So thank you. Please bring to us the word.
1: Thank you. Brad, for your um, remarks, and it is my privilege to be here. And I'm so glad that he asked me to preach, and that the elders uh, asked me to preach. And it's uh, um, as as Pastor Mills said, it's um, it's a, it's an honor to to be here and to be among you. And and uh, we're just um, uh, speaking for my congregation. Glad to be a part of the fellowship here. And I wasn't able to. Come to the last joint worship service that we had uh, about a month ago because my wife is literally giving birth, so uh, I was upset about that and, um, uh, but glad at the same time. So, healthy, healthy baby. Um, I also want to say as we turn to Second Samuel, I invite you to turn in your Bible to Second Samuel 21. That as soon as I'm done preaching, uh, I'm I'm going to leave, and it's because I have to preach at my church. I would love to, to commune with, with you all, and, so just know and, and to fellowship, but just know that's what's, what's going on here. Second Samuel 21. We're looking at this book in our evening service uh, together at, at my church, and I've decided to uh, bring this word to you um, that I'll preach later uh, in the evening uh, to my church. Second Samuel 21. Verse 15 through 22. Hear now God's holy word. When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. And David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zoriah came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel." Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sib- Sibaki, the Hushathite, killed Soph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again, there was war at Gob with the might, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants." Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Amen. There is tension in the Christian life. There's tension in our uh, our faith as Christians. Take, for example, uh, what Christ said to Paul in Corinth. Paul the apostle, he's evangelizing, he's preaching, and he's in Corinth, he's facing some trouble. And Christ speaks to him. And he says to him, keep going. Keep uh, preaching. I have many people in this city. You see the tension? On one hand, Christ as king is absolutely sovereign, in this case, on, on who's going to believe. He's already chosen them. Yet on the other hand, Paul is called to action. You um, are responsible to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not God's fault. People go to hell and they don't receive the grace of Christ because they don't repent. Yet God's sovereign over that. We don't understand completely all this. God is infinite. You are responsible. It's not irrational, it's just beyond our, our reason. You are responsible as a Christian to grow this church, all of you to some degree, to witness, to evangelize, and yet God is sovereign over See the tension. There's tension. And one of the ways that you can um, err, or one of the ways I can err and, and even sin, is we can, we can say, you know what? <clears throat> we can go on one end and be like, we need to do this. It's, it's up to us. I, I have to believe and, and God has not given me the strength to believe or to, or to defeat my sin and I've got to do it. And that's a depressing thing um, to, to, to think about if, if you just ponder that for a moment. But the other error is, is to say, well, God is God's going to bring new people to this church. And it doesn't really matter if we do evangelism um, this summer. You see the tension. And I want you to think about where you are. Are you in the middle, or are you maybe thinking to yourself, "It doesn't really matter if I love my wife, because God is—you know—if He he really wants me to love my wife and not flirt about this other lady at work, then you know He'll He'll make it make it so for me." Where are you on this uh, tension? This passage of scripture. This um, 2 Samuel 21, this last portion, is in a um, particular section of this book. Uh, perhaps you've heard of David and Bathsheba. That happened 10 chapters before this, chapter 11. He, um, the beginning of, the, of this book, he's, he's really a type of Christ in every way. He's a triumphant king. He's saving his people from their enemies. But from chapter 11 all the way to, through chapter 20, there's rebellion There's revolt because of this sin with Bathsheba, basically. But this section, chapter 21 to the end of 2 Samuel, the the, the author of this book is letting us know that God is with David, that he is his anointed one. And there's different ways in which he's doing that. One of those is is this passage. And we see that God is still with David. He's still faithful to David. He's still faithful to his church and that he uses his servants uh, to that end. And that's my lesson for you this morning. My lesson is that God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill his redemptive promise. And to that end, he uses the affection and courage and persistence of his servants. That's the lesson. God is faithful to fulfill his redemptive promise. To that end, he uses the affection, the courage and persistence of his servants. That's my lesson to you to you from this pastor this morning. And I want to bring this to you under four points. Four points. First, I want you to see the faithfulness of God. Such an encouragement to see, not the faithfulness of, of saints necessarily, but the faithfulness of God. It is the foundation for action in the Christian life. The faithfulness of God. There is a, um, a, a, a geyser in the Yellowstone National Park in uh, Wyoming, Old Faithful. Some of you may have, have driven over there and seen it. And depending on how, um, uh, how long it, it spews out hot, uh, I believe, just water, um, depending on how long it does that, you can predict within uh, plus or uh, minus 10 minutes, you can predict when it's going to do it again. And they have that. You can, they, they tell you when it's going to um, go off again. And it's been doing this for a very long time that's how God is. He's he's predictable in the sense that He's dependable. We see that here in verse uh, 16 and and verse 17. Notice that David is under attack. He's faint. He's um, facing this giant, and he's going to die, it looks like. What happens? Verse 17, But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. David, uh, in, in, Psalm tw- uh, in, in uh, Samuel, uh, the next chapter, chapter 22, he gives credit to the Lord for delivering him. The Lord. Uh, this is verse 1 of chapter 22. The Lord spoke. Uh, David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. And notice who David attributes his salvation. Not just uh, in this one event, but throughout his life. Verse 2, and he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. not Abishai. It's the Lord. And I want you to, to, to notice something. This is specifically talking about God's faithfulness to fulfill His promises. What does He promise David? Now Saul, who was the first king of Israel, God rejected, didn't He? God did not make a covenant with Saul like He did with David. In 2 Samuel Chapter 7, I could read those verses to you, verses 12 through 16. It's the Davidic covenant. I will not leave you and your house like I left Saul. You will always have a son reigning on the throne forever. And yet here's David in the heat of battle. Why am I tired? What's this new weapon this giant has? Why is he not dying? God, what's going to happen to me? I feel weak. God, help me. Boom. God's faithful. He's faithful to fulfill his promise. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has made promises to you. God has made promises to you, and he's going to be faithful to them. Take for a moment, let's just back up for a second. Maybe you're here and you're not a a believer. Maybe you're here and you don't know if you're a believer. God is faithful. He's, He's made a promise to every single person who's ever existed, who has ever lived, every one of you. If you will turn to Him, if you will submit your life to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you of your sin against Him as your Creator, and He'll forgive you. It's a promise. God is faithful to that. And He calls you from that to believe. Brothers and sisters, you are in a fight. You're fighting with sin. Aren't you? You're fighting with temptations. And your flesh and the devil, in a sense, speaks to you and says, you know what? You just need to do it. But God's faithful to you in temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God's faithful. With the temptation, we'll make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, that's the gospel. It's good news. The faithfulness of God is good. It's encouraging. It's the basis upon which we, we act. It doesn't matter what you face. There's no ethical dilemma you'll ever face in your life that God, by His Spirit, by the Spirit of Christ, will not enable you in that situation. He's faithful. Now, Some of you are thinking about um, your trials in your life. Sin, temptation, not necessarily. It's just a trial. Maybe it's a a boss that's just really brutal at work. Maybe it's a medical condition where you're just in pain all the time. You just want to give up. Well, God hasn't promised your best life now. He hasn't promised you a painless life. But he's promised to strengthen you, to enable you. I can do all things through uh, through Christ who strengthens me. It's not talking about the Olympics. It's talking about trials. Difficult. Raising kids. Being a good husband. Being a faithful pastor. He helps you. He enables you. He's faithful. And that's really the foundation for what's going on here. It's the foundation for action in the Christian life. It's our hope. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's in, our, it's in our Savior. It's in our God. And yet we don't go uh, to that opposite end or, or, or that we don't fall into this trap of we don't have to do anything. We don't fall into the trap that we don't have to do anything. We do fight. From God's faithfulness and from what He's done for us in Christ, we do fight. And I want you to see um, my remaining points here. And I forgot to Start my clock. I have no long, no idea how long I've been preaching. I, I apologize, um, but secondly, I want you to see the use of affection from this tension. Okay, despite how God, faithful God is, thank you. Okay, despite how faithful God is, we still act. And he uses He uses our efforts in the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. He really uses them. Notice the use of affection. I want to dial in on Abishai and the men here in verse 17. Affection, love, love for Christ. Now, David is, um, he's the king. God is using him in a real way, despite his imperfections. He is not the savior, is he? But in a real sense, he is Christ to these people. He is anointed, he is the king. And Abishai loves the king. Do you love the king? Abishai loves the king. He's willing to sacrifice his life. Now, put yourself in Abishai's shoes. There's a giant fighting David. Abishai is going to go and sacrifice his life for David. Abishai loves David. Now, Abishai's not perfect. If you've, you know, My church has seen me go through this book. Abishai's not perfect. He's definitely got some faults, but he loves David, and he, he sacrifices his own life to save him. Notice the the, the men, the verse goes on, then the men of David swore to him, saying, you shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. What is that showing? They value David. They want him to live. They don't want him to die. They love him. What what you value, you protect. This isn't isn't um, an offense here to David. I, I bought a laptop when I came out to Fresno two years ago, and kind of a gift to myself for graduating seminary, and... And I love my laptop. I value it. I do everything on my laptop. And i just kind of I'm just I'm just kind of weird about how I, you know, I don't leave it in the back of my car. Okay, I put it in the trunk. Or I just bring it in with me. It's not in my car right now. Because I value it. And what you value, you love, and you want to protect. And that's what's going on uh, going on here. And God's people love their king. They're affectionate toward him. They're willing to sacrifice Uh, Their life, as it were, for Him. They value Him. This is everywhere in the Scriptures, is it not? It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Notice strong language here. Uh, Matthew 10, 37. Christ said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Paul says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Love. Yes, we trust in Christ and we depend upon Christ and we rely upon Christ for our salvation. All of it. Our justification and our sanctification, our glorification, but we also love Him. And we give our lives for Him. Do you love Christ this morning? God uses people... His people, his servants who love him. It matters. What are you willing to sacrifice for Christ? Are you sacrificing? Are you giving of your life uh, for Christ? Listen, you can, you can say all you want about election and God you know, is going to bring people into this church. Christ is building his church. Amen. Christ is building his church. Are you willing to sacrifice to get in the fight out of love for him? Really, do you, do you love him? Do you love him with your time? Do you love him with your time? Are you willing to give him uh, his time? Think about this day. What's today? Today is the Lord's day. Are you willing to sacrifice your time to worship him, to serve him all this day? What are you doing later, later today? I believe you have an evening, afternoon service. Are you going to come? Are you going to worship him? What else are you going to be doing? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? I ask you again, do you love Christ? What about your money? I know nothing about the money situation in this church. It's, it's, it's freeing to preach in, this, in that sense. But I know you need money, right? And I know that your pastor needs money, and the, the General Assembly and all the ministries of the PCA, yeah, you need money. Are you, are you giving? Are you sacrificing? Energy. Think about the energy that's involved in church believe you're all going to have a fellowship mill. Y'all do have fellowship meals. It takes energy. You know, especially, you know, the ladies typically. It takes energy to make food. You're willing to sacrifice. Teach, it takes energy to, to teach a Sabbath school. It takes energy to go out and do evangelism. Do you love Christ? He uses his servants, especially the ones that are affectionate. Thirdly, thirdly, let's look at courage, tension. God is faithful. He's building His church, and yet He uses His servants. We see that here. It's, it's, it's an emphasis in this passage. I I've skipped over this, but this passage is parallel. If you look at Hebrew and chiasms and stuff, and perhaps Pastor Mills has mentioned that to you before, but there's... There's an emphasis here on the servants serving the Lord, serving the anointed one. And there's a parallel passage in chapter 23 where you have this whole list, this hall of fame. And this is what's going on. There's a focus here on the human instrumentality. God uses us. He uses uh, courageous servants. The use of courage, thirdly. Who is David and his servants fighting? Young boys, kids, giants much taller than me, like way, way up here. I, I met at our General Assembly last year. Um, a, a fraternal delegate from another church came, and he's 6'11", and he wasn't skinny, and he wasn't fat either. I mean, he was like muscle. He was a college basketball player, and I was the whole time, and I was like, yeah, I'm talking to him, and this is giant, formidable, fearsome enemies. All of these men here are giants. Verse verse 22. Uh, These four were born to the giant in Gath, large men. Ishbi Benam, verse 16, had a very large spear. The the bronze uh, spearhead was, I believe, that comes out to 300 shekels, comes out to seven pounds. In other words, he could tote this spear around. He was a big man. He had a new weapon. He was wearing probably a sword, it says in verse 16, bearing a new sword. It's always kind of intimidating to bat up against a a left-handed pitcher or the box, if you've gotten into that. I've experienced this, you know, a southpaw. It's just new, and it's kind of formal, it's kind of like, oh, what's this? It's intimidating. Here are these giants are. They're all large men, the same with the third giant. In verse 19, had a very large spear. He was this freak in verse 20. He was a man of great stature. He had six fingers, six toes. And the, and the idea, the sense is that that's like, wow, you know, like big guy strong. Well, if you've watched The Princess Bride, Princess Bride's a good movie. It's funny. It's, there's, a, there's a villain there, and he's not necessarily a giant, but he's a really good swordsman, and he has six fingers. And the, the idea is that, like, you don't want to mess with these people. and this, this is who they're fighting. And there's a lot of discussion about these giants. Is this another race? Um, and there's, you know, a lot of commentaries on that, but it doesn't really matter. Um, whether they're part of the Philistine nation, if they're separate or something, they're against God's people. They're enemies. And um, if you haven't realized it yet, some of you I know have. We face giants too, don't we? I'm not going to pretend like we don't. We do face giants. They're not an ethnic people group. We do face giants. We face the hardness of unbelief in our loved ones and even family members. That we've been pouring out to the gospel to and parenting and loving them, and we've seen this giant in its unbelief. We see our culture. And they're hostile to the gospel. We think about our sin. When will I ever get rid of pornography in my life? When will I ever really love my wife, my kids? When will I stop being bitter toward my parents? And our sin can be giant, a giant. And perhaps this isn't the encouraging part of the sermon, but it's the reality. We do face giants. But I, want, I do want to encourage you for a moment here in this regard. Um, despite the fact that we face giants, we have a giant as well on our side. Think of the promises of Scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor. He's, he's an elder. But this applies to all Christians. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of courage. He's given us a spirit of courage. We exercise that. Second Timothy 2, 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What's being said there? Well, perhaps more than just this, but it's, it's he's saying, listen, be strong. You need to be strong. You need to face your enemies. You need, you need, it takes courage, okay? It takes courage to pass a track out. Have you ever passed a track, gospel track out? It takes Courage. It takes courage to rebuke in a loving and gentle way a brother or sister in Christ who's wandering, doesn't it? It takes courage. Just because you feel fear in that moment doesn't mean you shouldn't. It takes courage to do church discipline, doesn't it, elders? not fun, but it's, it's good for the church. It's good for God's glory. And God calls us to courage. And in some sense, what I'm saying here is a call to faith. We all fear to some degree. It's it's what we're going to do in our fear. Are we going to act by faith? We're going to act in our fear. Courage. God has given you a spirit of courage. Exercise it. Use it. Courage. And finally... Um, again, uh, this tension. God is faithful, and yet this is a focus on the servants who are bringing about David's salvation and the growth of the church in the Old Testament. We see persistence, and I'll I'll try to be briefer here. Uh, The use of persistence. God uses persistent servants four times. Four times the text doesn't just... Indicate a battle with the same people who aren't going away. But the word is again. Verse 15, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel. David's already killed Goliath. Why aren't they, aren't they, you know, get a get a hint? Um you know, go away. No. Again they're fighting. Verse 18. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines. Verse 20, yet again there was war at Gath. You see? Now, these four heroes, they're all four different heroes. They were mighty men listed in other places in Scripture. But they were not doing what David did with Goliath. It wasn't just like a one. It was a battle. There was God's people were engaged. The army was engaged. There was a battle yet again and again and again. When are these enemies going to go away? and perhaps you're asking in your life. When are my enemies going to go away? And they will go away. Christ is making all things new. It's just not quite yet, is it? And God calls you to persist. He calls you to endure. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, endurance. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Tension. Brothers and sisters, our hope is in a faithful God who has given us His Spirit who will not forsake us and He calls us to persist. He calls us to fight against that sin that you hate, that you haven't shaken. Keep fighting. As some of you have been praying For particular people, for years and years and years. Some of you may have children who've left the faith. And you haven't seen any signs that they're going to come back to their covenant God. Keep praying. If you're like me, you haven't seen an adult baptism in a long time. You kind of want to stop street preaching, you want to stop sharing uh, the gospel with the plumber who comes to your house. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just persist. Just endure. Keep going. God has given you the strength to do it. He's calling you to do it. Just keep doing it. Our enemies are fleeing before us, but they're still there, aren't they? Our our, our sin is, is done, isn't it? And yet it's still there, isn't it? God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill his redemptive promise. And to that end, he uses the affection, courage, and persistence of his servants. There's tension in the Christian life. There's tension. Where are you, if we had to boil down to two errors, where are you? Are you sitting back on your Calvinistic chair and saying, you know what? God's going to do it. Or are you, from his promise of His Son, to pour out His Spirit upon you. Are you fighting for the church? Fighting for this congregation? Are you fighting for the souls of men and women? Are you fighting your sin? You're fighting a winning battle. But are you fighting? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our hope is in Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would fill us with his spirit. You would enable us as a congregation, as your people. You would enable this congregation to be faithful, to to obey you, to use the means you've given us to, to serve you. Go before us, defeat our sin, defeat our enemies, we pray, and use us to that end. Amen.